Good morning, greetings in Christ's name this morning. In this chapter that was read, we can see that the Holy Spirit is entering into the hearts of the believers that were present, that was promised by Jesus to his disciples. This is the start of the Holy Spirit indwelling in the hearts of not only one person, but to all believers that were present there. Ever since that time, the Holy Spirit continues on to dwell in the hearts of all believers. The subject of the Holy Spirit is a subject that can get confusing sometimes, but that is because people make the Holy Spirit into something that it is not. They don't look at the Word of God to find out the truth about it. There are many incorrect views about the Holy Spirit. And maybe even because of that, it is maybe a subject that doesn't get talked about a lot, unless we get confused ourselves about who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. There are people that believe that when you become a Christian that you don't get the Holy Spirit until a later time in your Christian life, when you get a certain spiritual experience. Or that when you become a Christian, you only get some of the Holy Spirit and then you experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit a certain time later, which follows with exercising of the Holy or the spiritual gifts. There may be other beliefs about the Holy Spirit that are not correct, that are not in line with the Word of God. But I want to today talk about the Holy Spirit, see what God's Word has to say about the Holy Spirit. And I think I'll be spending at least two Sundays talking about this subject. This morning, I want to talk about the promise of the Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We sometimes get the feeling that the Trinity is one person. But they are not. They are three different beings, three different persons working together in harmony, accomplishing the same goal. That is what makes them one. The Holy Spirit never works against God or Jesus Christ. He is working in union with them. It is a little like a married couple, two different people Coming together in marriage as one, working together in their married life, accomplishing the same goal. At the time of Jesus' baptism, we see three we see the Trinity in three different bodily forms in Matthew three. But they were all present. We see Jesus coming up out of the water after he was being baptized. And the Holy Spirit was coming down like as a dove, resting on Jesus and God up in heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. All three in different forms, but are working together as one. The Holy Spirit is referred to as a person, as someone. The Holy Spirit is not an it, is not considered as it. He is not a something like a force or a presence. In some of the verses in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to by the pronoun he. He is one who has feelings, 
just like we do, like God and like Jesus does. There are times that we can grieve him. In Ephesians 4.30 and also Isaiah 63.10, it says that we can vex. We vex the Holy Spirit. We can also please the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is considered as one who is the breath of God. <clears throat> back, in, <clears throat> excuse me, back in Genesis, when God created man, he breathed into the nostrils the breath of life so that man became a living soul. When God breathed into Adam, he became alive. He was living because of God's breath. Adam was able to get up and do what a normal person does, moves around, works, and so on. But the Holy Spirit is the Christian's breath that God breathes on us. He is what makes Jesus' disciples alive, that gives the Christian the strength to live the Christian life, to do what a Christian does in following God and being obedient to Him. In John 20, 21-22, this is Jesus talking to disciples. He says, And then said Jesus to them again, Peace unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said that this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. These verses is considered as the disciples' commission to do the works of Christ. God sent Jesus into this world to do his work in ministering and teaching the people around him. So Jesus was now sending his disciples to continue on in that work. He breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He gave his disciples the Holy Spirit by breathing on them. God was recreating humanity in Christ. In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel 37, and this is the chapter that talks about the dry bones of the house of Israel, what caused the bones to live, to stand on their feet and become a great army? It was the wind that breathed on the dead bodies. And I'll just read Ezekiel 37, 9 and 10. Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breathe, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And if we look at verse 14 of that chapter, it says that it is the Spirit of God. The wind was the Spirit of God. So we see that even the house of Israel, what made them alive, is the Spirit of God, the wind. Because of God, because of the Holy Spirit, because of God breathing in our lives, we are alive spiritually. We can continue on with the work that Christ started while he was here on the earth and ministering to people, living in obedience to God and his word. The Holy Spirit is a gift to us from God. And when we receive a gift, it is something that is free. We don't need to pay for it. We don't need to earn it by working or by doing something. It is free it is also made available to us. We can use the gift when we receive it. We can enjoy the gift and use it for our benefit. The Holy Spirit is a gift 
for us as Christians. Luke 11, 11 to 13, it says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? As fathers, when our children ask us for something, we give them what is good for them. We don't give them something that would harm them or our children, but we would give them something that they can benefit from, that will be able to help them. If we in our sinful state know how to give good gifts to our children, God, who is perfect, will give us the perfect gift. And that gift to us is the Holy Spirit. It is given to us for our benefit so that we are better able to honor and glorify God, which is impossible without the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes, even for myself, that I don't recognize the importance and the value of having the Holy Spirit in my life. But God gave us a perfect gift. And speaking about value, there is a story in the book of Acts, Acts 8, where Simon from Samaria tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Before this man um, came or heard the gospel message, he was involved in sorceries or magical arts. This man heard the gospel message being preached by Philip. He believed the gospel message and was baptized. But when Simon saw the miracles and the signs that was being done by the apostles, he wondered, beholding what he saw. He was amazed and astonished at what he saw. He couldn't stop observing it. When he saw the apostles laid hands on those in Samaria so that they could receive the Holy Ghost, he too wanted to be able to do that. So he offered money so that he too can lay hands on people so that they can receive the Holy Ghost. He wanted to buy the power of God, buy the Holy Spirit. But if you think about it, that is just like Judas Iscariot who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was putting a material price on spiritual realities. There is no price that we can place on the Holy Spirit. There is no money that can buy, but yet it is free for all those who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a gift for us. The Holy Spirit is sent from God and Jesus. Just a couple of verses about that. John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. And also in John fifteen twenty six, it says. But when the Comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father. And in John 16, 7, it says, Jesus says that I will send him. He's also, the Holy Spirit is also sent in Jesus' name. And this speaks of authority. The Holy Spirit is moved by the name of Christ. And this is done for Christ's sake, so that he can be honored and glorified. When we think about the Holy Spirit, there's only one Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.4 4 says there is one body and one spirit. 
There are many Christians in our world today, but yet there is one Spirit. And with that one Spirit, He is made available to all Christians at the same time. To whom is the Holy Spirit given to? This may be an area where it gets a little confusing to those who don't read the Word of God and believe what the Bible says. And I think the reason for this is because of what they see that looks appealing to the flesh, or because they are controlled by their emotions, or by some supposed supernatural experience. And just I want to, this next comment that I want to make is just preparing um, the thoughts for um, John 14, where I'm going to be turning to. So how many times have you or I wished to live on the earth when Jesus was here on the earth? To hear him preach and teach the people around him. To see his compassion on those who have need, whether it was physical, spiritual, or whether they were um, children. To watch the healings and the miracles take place. To watch him take control of the storms. The disciples were facing the same situation before Jesus went to the cross. They wanted to continue on to physically be with him. They did not want him to leave. Jesus told them different times that he must die, that he was going on. And this was hard for the disciples to take. Jesus was to, to set up his earthly kingdom here. He was their teacher. He cared for them. They left their jobs to follow him. They were with him for the past three years. He was everything to them. He was the Messiah. He was not supposed to die, but yet he said he was going to die. He will supposedly no longer be with them. If you like, turn with me to John 14. At the end of chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples again, that he is going to die. Verse 36, whither I, go, thou canst, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me, or me here afterwards. But notice what 14.1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples' hearts were full of fear and dread. They had great sorrow as they thought about Jesus' death. Jesus even told them that they had sorrow and their hearts in chapter 16. But Jesus was encouraging them to trust in him with what he was about to say, the same as they trust in God. And I realize that in the next couple of verses in John 14 talk about the rapture of the church. But could it be that there are more things in this chapter that they would comfort or that would comfort the disciples as they thought about his death? If we look at um, verses 6 and 7, he talks to them about how he is the way, the truth, and the life. Verses 9 and 11, he talks about the true revelation of God through Christ. In verse 12, he talks about the Christian's power to do greater works. And in verse 13 and 14, he talks about answer to prayer. But in verse 15, um, this is where I want to especially highlight on. This is where... Yet, the question of whom the Holy Spirit is given to and where Jesus encourages the disciples by promising the Holy Spirit. And we want to read verses 15 to 21. If ye love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, 
that ye may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall also ye shall live also. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and will manifest myself to him. Jesus said these verses to comfort his disciples. He starts out by saying, If you love me, keep my commandments. Doesn't this sound like one who is a Christian? One who is a true Christian, one who loves Jesus and obeys the commandments that he has given him, given us. In John 14, 23 to 24, is the difference between one who loves Jesus and one who does not. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and will come unto him and make our bed with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father which sent me. How are we to keep Jesus' commandments? In John 15.10 it says, Even as Jesus kept God's commandments. Jesus was faithful to God's commandments. That's how we are to keep Jesus' commandments. Then the type of love that we have is a love that lays down his life for Jesus, like it says in John 15, 13 and 14. This is a sign of a true Christian. It also narrows it down to whom will receive the promises from God, especially the one of the Comforter. Jesus says that he will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter. Remember what it says in Luke 11 that I quoted, when us as Christians ask God for the Holy Spirit, God will give it. Jesus doesn't wait for his disciples to ask. He intercedes. He prays to the Father. And the word praise is a strong word. It means that Jesus begs on our behalf that we can have another comforter. The word another is an interesting word, and it's an important word that we need to take note of here. We use this word in a couple different ways. The Greek word for another in this chapter is alos, and it means another of the same sort or exactly the same. The other Greek word that is used in the Bible for another is heteros, and it means another of a different sort or something that is not the same. In this chapter, Christ promises to send another, or Allah's comforter, another one exactly like himself. In Galatians 1, 6 and 7, Paul speaks of a different gospel, which is heteros. It's not an Allah's, which is the same, but it's something different. It wasn't the same gospel that he preached, but a different one. Or something else that we can all understand. When I'm changing oil in my van and I grab the wrong wrong wrench, I might say to one of my children, get me another wrench, something that is different compared to when I'm finished eating a good sandwich, I would say, I want another sandwich, something exactly the same. 
So the comforter that is promised to disciples and to us is the same as if Jesus is walking in our midst every day. It is not a different person, but is someone just like him. The Holy Spirit is not just with one person or a small group of people like it was in, the, in Jesus' day, but with all believers scattered throughout the whole world. The comforter is given to us. The word comforter is the same word as advocate, like it says in 1 John 2.1. My little children, these things I write unto you, write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This, is, this verse here is a picture of Jesus being our advocate. Jesus is our advocate up in heaven, while the Holy Spirit is our advocate here on the earth with us. Another word for comforter, it's helper. The Holy Spirit is our helper, the same kind of helper that Jesus was to his disciples, teaching them and encouraging them and being present with them. He is the one who comes along beside us as Christians to help us, to give us aid. It is the Holy Spirit who took the place of Jesus after he sent it up into heaven to continue on Jesus' ministry through the lives of every believer. Jesus will not leave us comfortless. He will not leave us as orphans, like the word pictures. We are not orphans. The Holy Spirit will be with us forever. He won't leave us, but will be with us to help us. That is why Jesus had to go, so that the Holy Spirit could come. Notice who the Holy Spirit or the Comforter is not for. It is not given to, and in this verse, in verse 17, John calls him the spirit of truth. The world cannot receive him because they don't see and know him. So who is the world that can't receive the truth? Turn back with me to John 8. It tells us who the world is. And here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were claiming that they were children of freedom because they were from Abraham's lineage that God was their father. But in John 8, 44, it says, Jesus tells them, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in truth, in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a, li- for he is a liar and the father of it. The world is the children of the devil who believes the lie from the father of lies, the total opposite of the spirit of truth. The world is the unsaved people. And still going on the same um, question about who receives the Holy Ghost, um, turn with me to John 7, verses 37 to 39. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. This feast that Jesus was a part of was considered the Feast of Tabernacles. 
This feast lasted for seven days, and then a celebration day on the eighth day. Now, I'm not going to go into details about um, this feast. I'm not quite sure what all took place, but it's on the eighth day, the high priest would take a golden pitcher and dip it into a pool of Siloam and take the water back to the altar and pour the water over the altar while the people around the altar would recite Isaiah 12.3, which says, Therefore with joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And this was a celebration to remember God's provision and deliverance as they traveled through the wilderness. It is said that at this time that Jesus spoke these verses here in John. John tells us in verse 39 that Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit. This promise is for any man if they meet the conditions that are listed here. It is not just for the Jews, but it is also for us as well. There is no status that needs to be met to receive the Holy Spirit. So what are the conditions that need to be met in order to receive the Holy Spirit? You need to thirst. There needs to be a painful want of, eagerly longing for the things by which the soul is refreshed, supported, and strengthened. There needs to be thirst. It is a strong desire of the soul to come in complete union with God and the fullness of His Spirit. Another thing that we need to do in order to receive the Holy Spirit, we need to, we need to come to Jesus. This means a complete surrender of our own lives to do the whole will of God as He's revealed it to us. Another thing we need to do to receive the Holy Spirit, we need to drink from the water that Christ offers. We need to receive in our souls what serves to refresh us, to strengthen us. Another thing that we need to do to receive the Holy Spirit is we need to believe on Jesus just like the Scripture says that we should. This means to obey the whole gospel program. Doesn't this sound like someone who has committed himself to Jesus? So what happens when these conditions are met? There flows out of the believer's belly rivers of living water. The Christian has all the power that he needs to live the Christian life. Second Peter 1.3, and I think Daniel Lapp referred to this a couple times, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Did you hear the word all? All things. The word divine is referring to the three members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are given all things that we need, all things to live a dynamic spiritual life. We have nothing lacking it is made available to us. Back in John 7, it doesn't say that it starts out as a drop or a little trickle. But when we meet these conditions, there will be rivers of living water. Rivers. It is ongoing. It never stops. This is the constant flow of the Holy Spirit to be the person that God wants us to be. This river comes without measure. You can't contain it. 
It keeps on going. It is the Christian, only the Christian, that receives the Holy Spirit in his life. And he's given all that he needs to live the Christian life. And there are other verses that we could turn to that tell us who receives the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to take the time to do um, look at all of them. But there's one thought that I want to point out from Luke 11 that I read earlier. It talks about the Father giving the Holy Spirit to his sons, who are his sons. We are those that place their trust in God. So where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Romans 8 9, it says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. The Spirit of God dwells in us. Not just one person at a time, but all believers. The Spirit of God dwells in each one. When we talk about the Holy Spirit living within us, it means way more than just taking up residence in one's body. There are other beings that entered into people. We look at the life of Judas Iscariot. Satan entered into the heart of Judas when he betrayed him. And it is said that Paul said that the Corinthians and the Philippians were in his heart. So what does that mean exactly? When we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, it means that we are in union with the Holy Spirit. And like I said, just like a married couple, they become one because two different people come together into each other's life. It is not his life or her life. It is our life. And that is the same with the Holy Spirit. We need to be one in mind and in our purpose in our life. The Holy Spirit can't dwell within us, in our lives, if we run ahead with our life by ourselves. We need to submit to the will of God and to the Holy Spirit. So how do you know if you have the Holy Spirit within you or dwelling in you? The way that some people would feel like they can tell that they have the Holy Spirit in their lives is dependent on their emotions and experiences, such as speaking in tongues and doing miracles. But the spiritual gifts, in my opinion, is not the first evidence that we see a spirit-filled believer. I believe the way we can tell that a person is spirit-filled is when we can see the fruits of the spirit within them. Turn with me to Galatians 5. If we look at verses 19 to 21, we can see the works of the flesh and that they are clearly evident before you were a Christian. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murderers, drunkenness, revealings, and such like. Does any of this the list of sins sound familiar to you? What you were like before you became a Christian. These verses describe our life before we were saved. But in verse 22, 23, it jumps totally to the opposite, to a spirit-filled believer. Verse 22 starts out with the word but. 
This word is often in scripture um, points to two totally different opposites. In this case, the works of the flesh compared to the works or the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, gentleness, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. When we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, it will produce fruit. It is something that is made evident in our lives. We can see it. We can know that you're a Spirit-filled believer with these fruit in our lives. It sounds really easy, but sometimes I think... I, we make it difficult. An apple tree will always produce apples. An orange tree will always produce oranges. A pear tree will always produce pears. But a pear tree will never, ever produce apples or oranges. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. Us as Christians, we produce all of this fruit that is listed here in Galatians 22 and 23. I believe this is a complete list. There is nothing more to be added to this to sh- list to show us or to show to the world that we are spirit-filled. Do you have love? Do you have joy? Do you have peace in your life? Do you have patience? Are you gentle? Are you filled with goodness? Do you have faith? Are you meek? Do you have self-control? If these things are lacking in your life, if you're doing the works of the flesh, do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? And I understand we're still humans. We do fail. We're not perfect. But these need to be evident in our lives. And in order to bear much fruit, we need to abide in Christ and allow Christ to abide in in us, like it says in John 15, then we will bear much forth much fruit. Then you can tell if a person is filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the promise of the Holy Spirit, not only in my life, but also when Jesus promised it to his disciples a couple of thousand years ago. It is the presence of Christ within me. With us, every step of the way, just like Jesus was with his disciples. And that's a comfort for me. My desire in my own life, and also for each one of you, is that we would yield ourselves and submit to its working in our lives. Let's kneel to pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings, your love for us. Thank you, Lord, for the plan of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for sending us another comforter, the Holy Spirit that's with us, that guides us, that gives us the strength that we need. Um, Thank you, Lord, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that you would just help each one of us, help me to submit to the will of the Spirit, to your will in um, our lives. I pray that you just guide and direct us and just give us the strength that we need. Praise God and direct us. Bless our fellowship afterwards. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.